from the East Coast to the West Coast and to listeners around the world. Welcome to the Truth Seekers Radio Show. I'm your host, Angeline Marie. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. We're broadcasting on Liberty Works Radio Network at libertyworksradionetwork.com and their affiliate stations. Also, don't forget, you can always learn more about our show and find podcasts posted at truthseekersradioshow.com. Today, my guest is Dr. Judy Wood. She is here to discuss her book, Where Did the Towers Go?, and the evidence that she found relative to the happenings on 9-11. But before I introduce Dr. Wood, I just wanted to take you back to 9-11 and reflect back on that day. You know, like everyone else, I remember where I was on 9-11 and when I first heard and saw what they were showing on television. I had the TV on in the background and I was getting ready for work. And I got to say, at that time when it was first unfolding, I really didn't question anything. I think I was just in shock initially. They were disseminating information all day, and because I had never heard of anything happening like this in my lifetime, they were talking about an act of terrorism, and to be honest, it just took me a while to even mentally connect to what this was, because as far as I had been alive, we really hadn't experienced anything like this in America. Later that day, while watching the repeat uh, video footage, all day they were showing the same clips over and over, the towers going down. I remember one thing. I was thinking and saying to myself, you know, this sort of reminds me of when I would see video clips of, say, Las Vegas hotels being demolished, where they were in a uh, controlled demolition. And I didn't really tell anybody that. That's just what I was thinking that day. Now, when I say I wasn't thinking that anything sinister had been going on behind the scenes, I do remember putting together the connection of a controlled demolition with what was going on that day. I just thought that the whole thing was kind of strange. Now, as time went on, when the government and the mainstream media were constantly beating us over the head, telling us there's a war on terror, I was asking, well, if if it's so bad, why in the heck is that border still left wide open? I got to say, this is when I started to question 9-11. I mean, if things were so bad as we were being told, why was that border open? I just could never understand that, especially when they were increasing airport security and putting American citizens through the third degree as if we ourselves were the terrorists. This is when I started to question the events of 9-11, and I saw this as the perfect way for them to get the American people to comply with our new loss of freedoms. Now, fast forward to today. Americans are forced to get these complimentary CAT scans at the airports. You can't carry this or you can't carry that with you on a plane. But guess what? Those borders are still wide open. And isn't it funny that even though the boogeyman Osama bin Laden is gone, now we have a new boogeyman on the scene, ISIS. And I'm not saying that ISIS may not be real. I don't know. But real or not, that border is still open. And real or not, the government seems to be doing absolutely nothing about it. Now, Dr. Wood is here today to share her evidence that she's found through careful study 
And she's here. And what I really respect about her is she has this mission to get the American people to use their critical thinking skills rather than just taking in what they've been told and never questioning what they hear or see from the government or the media. So I'm going to bring her on in a second, but let me just tell you a little bit about her first. Dr. Judy Wood earned a PhD degree from Virginia Tech. She's a former professor of mechanical engineering. She has research expertise in experimental stress analysis, structural mechanics, deformation analysis, materials characterization, and materials engineering science. She taught graduate and undergraduate engineering classes. She's authored or co-authored over 60 peer-reviewed papers and journal publications in her areas of expertise. And since the time of 9-11, she's applied her expertise in material science and image analysis to a forensic study of, get this, over 40,000 images, hundreds of video clips, a large volume of witness testimony, analysis of dust samples, seismic data, and the analysis of other environmental evidence pertaining to the destruction of the World Trade Center complex. To this day, Dr. Wood's investigation and body of evidence has been compiled in a great book, which I read, by the way, called Where Did the Towers Go? Dr. Wood started to question the events of 9-11 on that same day because what she saw and heard on television seemed to contradict and violate the laws of physics. And since that day, she's used her knowledge of engineering mechanics to prove that the collapse of the World Trade Center Twin Towers could not have happened as the American public was told. So if you will help me welcome Dr. Judy Wood. Hello, Dr. Wood. Thanks for joining us today. How are you? Great. Thank you so much for having me, and thanks for getting this information to your listeners. Thank you. I'm so appreciative that you agreed to come on. I tried to get this on the air before 9-11, but it didn't work out that way, and I'm glad because I got a chance to go through your almost, really, 500 pages worth of book. That book is a beautiful book, and it's more like a textbook. But let's yes, get... I guess go ahead. 554 pages. It's a, and it's a beautiful book. It's got the pictures and the graphs and great information on the evidence that you found. But let's start with this. Now, I read that you did question on that day, 9-11, what happened. But what exactly was it, Dr. Wood, that got you started to look more into the events of that day? Well, looking at the, the TV screen and the, well, the initial introduction, hearing it talked about on the radio like it was some sick joke. You know, some guys last night, may, you know, must have had too much to drink at the party. They made a wrong turn with the airplane into the building. And I kept waiting for the, you know, the punchline to come, and it didn't come. And, you know, it's weird. So I turned on the TV and then flipping through the different channels that my rabbit ears could pick up, but I don't believe in cable, uh, it was uh, all the same story. That was weird. Mm-hmm. And then I went into campus and um, saw it on on. TV, you know, the, the building frothing up in the dust and coming apart, almost like somebody tugged at a yarn on a sweater and it just unraveled. But, you know, you, you think to yourself, now, what what does a uh, a building collapse look like? And you think, and you look back at the screen, nope, doesn't look like that. You know, thinking independently, you know, looking around the faculty conference room and everyone's just sucked into it. They're not critically questioning what they're seeing. Mm-hmm. We're being told this is a collapse, but this building's frothing into dust. It, it almost looks like a, you know, a, t- a tree 
buzzing in the sawdust from the top down, like a cartoon. Mm-hmm. And, and he looked at me like I was crazy. And Well, am I on a different planet? You know, what's going on here? So I, in order to solve whether or not I was insane or they were insane, you know, needed to differentiate that. And because you're asking whether or not you're insane doesn't mean you are. It means you're objective. And so I went up to my office and started doing some calculations and thinking the, the problem through. And that's what I came up with, what I call the billiard ball example. Because see, those are innocent billiard balls. It takes you away from the horror scene. Because they trained us on this horror scene. You know, bodies flying, horrible building, you know, airplane hitting building. You know, all these, these scenes that were conditioning people to feel terror and to shut down their thinking. But innocent billiard balls just dropping using these timing devices. They're each a different color. Let's ignore the cue ball, but they're each a different color, so you can keep track of one from the other. And, you know, can we follow the timing of those down? And I made some simple calculations. It would take, you know, at least 30 minutes, maybe 100, I mean, 30 seconds or 100 seconds for this building to just get to the ground. I mean, how long does it take you to... uh, clapped your hands 110 times. Mm-hmm. There were 110 floors. And so I, I went to a colleague two doors down and asked, you know, is these calculations correct? It looked to me like I was having a senior moment because it was so simple of a calculation. But they couldn't handle the same question if it was applied to the buildings. That's where I saw the power of the, the billiard ball example. It takes people away from that trauma so the brains can operate. And that was the, kind of the whole basis of it. You know, how long does it take to drop a billiard ball off the roof of the towers? Discounting air resistance, the fastest time to the ground in a vacuum would be 9.22 seconds. The ground shook for only eight seconds. Now, Houston, we have a problem. Mm-hmm. And nobody's questioning that. And, and to... Um, you know, go from floor to floor, a progressive, quote, collapse, you know, kaboomity boomity bangity boom that slows it down. And uh, there's no way. Now, another way of thinking of the timing that came to mind then was, okay, it, it's a little over a quarter mile tall. So let's turn the building sideways on the ground so you have somebody run the distance. Now, let's say they, ha- they can run their world record at, at four-minute mile. That means it's going to take them one minute to run a quarter of a mile, approximately. So they're taking 60 seconds to run the length of it, and the ground shook from eight seconds. There's a big discrepancy there. Right. Just think about how fast that building was being destroyed. And that usually when something um, you know collapses, something goes crunch and leans on something else, goes kapop, and then something kind of like an avalanche starting. That was another thing that came to my mind. Uh, you know, just, you know, one thing nudges something else. And also when it finishes, and you, know, you have a big pile left over on the ground, and that pile is going to be settling down. If you've ever gotten a bunch of um, crushed aluminum cans, you know, dumped them in the recycling bin, mm-hmm. you, you hear them adjust and move around after you've quit pouring the cans on top because they trigger another, you know, sort of collapse of the of the aluminum can pile. And in and your readjusts. book... You talk about the in a typical collapse, the top floors would give way first, collapse to the next floor, and so on and so on in a pancake fashion. And that well, that, not a typical one, but this is uh-huh. what they were claiming had happened because mm-hmm. because it, it was a top down. Now regular controlled demolitions are not top down; they're they're bottom up. 
they slice and dice the building and then drop it to the ground. When it slams to the ground, that's when it gets busted up. Now, so it, uh-huh. go ahead, go ahead. Okay, now there's a lot of different perspectives of what happened that day, but something that you really point out is it's much more important on the what happened rather the who and the why. Now, why do you think that? Oh, it's not just uh, more important. Uh, if you're going to solve a problem, this is, in you know, the first serious engineering class every engineering student takes is engineering statics. And it's sort of like boot camp of how to set up a problem, how to define the problem, and then how to, you know, gather the information you have to, to solve it. And a lot of times students think it's just kind of silly because it's, it's so routine, but I, I, I hammer in to get in the habit of, of setting up the problem. Then for the rest of your career, in your life, it'll serve you well because you'll be in the habit of first defining the problem before you go to solving it. Because, you know, if I tell you the answer, uh, you know, to the, to the uh, question is 27, is that the right answer? Right. And you asked me that. But, yeah. And I and, said and I didn't you, even know what the question was. And that made you pass the test. <laughs> because, because if you don't know the question, how can you know if the answer is correct? Right. And that's the whole thing with people saying, well, uh, you know, nukes did it, thermite did it, this or that did it. What's it that was done? If you haven't defined what it is, you can't solve it. You can't solve the problem. And so what people end up doing is making assumptions about what it was that their uh, pet theory answers to. So they're solving an imaginary problem, not the real problem. And you can never, ever solve the real problem if you're solving an imaginary problem. Right, if you're keeping busy on something else and directing all your right, energy because on just that. If you assume the building blew up with bombs and then you said bombs did it, well, you're assuming a scenario of bombs blowing up. But that may or may not be what actually happened. So you have to start with establishing what happened. You know, you found a dead body. Does it have bullet holes in it? Does it have poison in it? You know, you have an autopsy. What does the autopsy say? You don't immediately say, he did it because he, he has a gun in his hand. Well, the body doesn't have a bullet hole in it. Mm-hmm. So you have to define what the problem is first. And that's something that, that flies over people's heads so rapidly because our culture and learning, people are in such a hurry to, you know, multiple choice testing and so forth. They're busy checking the answer and then seeing what matches that answer rather right. than solve the problem from the front forward. And Dr. Wood, we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but let's go ahead and take our first break. Listeners, today my guest is Dr. Judy Wood. She's the author of Where Did the Towers Go? We'll be back in two minutes on the Truth Seekers radio show. Thousands of years, people from the Brazilian rainforest have used the Asahi berry for its amazing health benefits. Now we've learned it's also an amazing weight loss supplement. If you're looking to lose 10, 20, maybe even 50 pounds or more, then the Ultimate Asahi Diet may be your solution. The Ultimate Asahi Diet is loaded with pure organic Asahi extract powder and other great herbs like hudia and green tea. You'll burn fat, control your appetite, and and get an energy surge like you've never felt before. If you want to lose 10, 20, maybe even 50 pounds, order the Ultimate Asahi Diet right now. We'll even give you a free bottle when you order two. 
plus give you free shipping. Call 800-430-4147, When you struggle with credit card bills every month, you're not just in debt. Debt is all around you. I see people every day that are on the brink. They're going to go over the edge, and at the bottom is bankruptcy, and we pull them back. At the Debt Helpline, we're experts at helping you resolve your debt problems and become free of debt. We can help you pay off your debt and give you one lower monthly payment that you can afford. You do get to consolidate your payments. You only have to worry about making one payment a month instead of making three or four or five. If you have $5,000, $10,000 or more in credit card bills, call the Debt Helpline now for a free confidential debt analysis. 800-948-6817. 800-948-6817. Call the CESI Debt Helpline right now for a free confidential debt review. 800-948-6817. Welcome back. You're listening to the True Seekers radio show. Today, our guest is Dr. Judy Wood. She is the author of Where Did the Towers Go? And we're discussing the evidence she found regarding the happenings on 9-11. Dr. Wood, just before we went to the break, what we were discussing really has to tie in with this. Now, this was a very important point that you brought out early in your book, and I had never really given this much thought until you pointed it out. And what you said was how people first heard about the events on 9-11 when they very first heard would have an impact on how they would perceive that event from that day forward. In fact, you go and you describe the difference between your mother's take and your father's take on 9-11 based on that they both heard it from totally different sources that day and how it formed their perceptions differently. Can you talk to the listeners about that, the critical thinking skills and, and whether we use them or not based on how we were told that day? Because think about it, all day long they were beating us over the head with the same video and the same script running all day long. So just how did that affect how we would think and how we would use or not use our critical thinking skills. In, in my lab, I had kind of a, a, a sort of in a way poking fun at it, a, a poster on the wall that said, in God we trust, all others must bring evidence. And it, that's what it's about, is, is not just belief, but actual, uh, you know, evidence. What does the evidence say? Listen to the evidence and it will speak to you. And so, okay, it starts out, and I'm skeptical already about, you know, I'm flipping the channels through, and they're all showing the same scene, the same video. Uh, and I think, well, golly, uh, I would expect, you know, one show to be having somebody, you know, up close and personal with a camera in somebody's face. Dude, did you just take your loved one to the airport? Or, oh, you're an engineer. What happened? You know, please explain. You know, various things like that. But it was all the same story, every mm-hmm. channel, all, all, all five of the channels I got reception on. And so, okay, I need more evidence. I need, you know, multiple sources to confirm something. So uh, if if the U.S. is under attack, uh, surely there'd be uh, fighter jets out protecting it. And my parents lived near the Pentagon then, 
So I thought, okay, I'll call my mom and ask her to look out the window and see if she sees fighter jets overhead. And so, okay, I call her. She didn't know anything was going on, and um, she looked outside. Nope, no fighter jets overhead. So now she's suspicious because, right. you know, she turns on the TV and oh, does see that something's going on. Well, you know, it'll blow over. You know, it's no big deal. You know, that's how she perceived it because I was skeptical and, you know, no, it's just nonsense. And my dad, meanwhile, was out in his garden, and the next-door neighbor who worked at the Pentagon who wasn't at the Pentagon that day. She was at a meeting across town. I came home early and went running to my dad for comfort. She was all distraught and got my dad distraught about it. And somehow my dad got the impression that uh, she said she had said that uh, she saw the airplane wing tear the roof off the, the Pentagon. But it's, it's how it, you don't necessarily hear what the person's saying. Right. Your, your, your adrenaline's flowing. You're just trying to take in as much details and data as, as fast as you can as you can to figure out what kind of is going on. And that was how it, it was perceived by my dad is, you know, we're under attack and there's a plane that just ripped the roof off the Pentagon. The roof was still on the Pentagon. And it was like 20 minutes later, a, a chunk uh, supposedly collapsed underneath, but the roof was at the original time was intact. But this woman didn't even see what was happening except could see the, what looked like smoke coming out of it from across town. But my dad was thoroughly traumatized about it, and so it was it was you know written in stone in his mind that this is must be what happened, whatever that initial uh you know first piece of data was, and we often do hear first impressions stick, and it's true, yeah, I gotta tell you, I was telling a coworker of mine I was going to interview you, and when I told him what the subject was, he said, oh i don't." I don't have to hear that because I know how it happened, you know, and he just like everybody else found out the same way by just watching that video all day. I know what happened. Those planes hit and, and they blew up and they were on fire and they came down. It's amazing. The, uh, you know, element of suggestions and the power of suggestion. Here's another scenario. Except, you know, if you paid admission to a magic show, let's say you see the uh, magician, it sure looks like he pulled a rabbit out of the cufflink of his shirt. Out comes a rabbit. Does that mean it happened? And I, when you're talking about it, it looked just like, you know, the, the controlled demolitions in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Just because it looked like, because for some reason you were led to a conclusion because it looked like. And, and it, if you remember some uh-huh. of the old Perry Mason, uh, you know, episodes where, where um, you know, the, the the person on the witness stand, the, the witness, the, the uh, first you know, eyewitness says, yeah, I could recognize the, the, the murderer anywhere. And then somebody walks in the back of the courtroom. Yeah, yeah, that's him right there. I, I could recognize him anywhere. And the, the person in the back pulls their hat off and out pops his curly blonde hair. It turns out it's Perry Mason's uh, assistant. You and, know, when, uh, I, they, oh. <laughs> when I read your book, and because like I said, that was my first impression was this controlled demolition argument. And the reason was because to me, it looked like what I had seen on TV before. Okay. But then as I read your book and you talk about the amount of matter that was left over after they came down, wasn't significant enough to actually have happened that way. So then what I did is I went to a site where it's nothing but videos of controlled demolition of the Las Vegas hotels, the old Las Vegas hotels. And after watching about a dozen of those, you start to see a pattern. And then I went to your site 
and started watching the towers coming down, the video of all the towers coming down, and it looks totally different. It isn't the same, but at first I thought it was till I went back and started watching. And if you compare those two types of videos, there is a distinct, definite difference in how they come down. So anybody that would question that come you, apart. just go and do a search on control demolition las vegas hotels and you'll find this site it's got all these videos and i watched those and then i went back to your site and i compared and there's a definite difference and you know doctor when this brings up the bathtub issue this is something i didn't know the towers according to your book were built 70 feet below the water table in what is called a bathtub now, I didn't realize this, but can you talk about that bathtub and what, in fact, would have happened had those buildings collapsed and crashed down to the ground, as we were told, with all of that matter left over? What would have happened? Well, first of all, I'm going to read a, a, a quote by a first responder, uh, Michael Ober, who said, I don't remember the sound of the building hitting the ground. Someone told me it was measured on the Richter scale. I don't know how true that is. If the building's hitting the ground that hard, how do I not remember the sound of it? Or I would think if you were there, you would feel it. Oh, yeah. And there's also a, a fellow who um, contacted me after he read my book. He was just so delighted that someone was explaining just what he experienced. He worked on the 27th floor of the North Tower. And when mayhem struck, he decided he wasn't going to get any work done, so he was going to go home for the day and collected up his stuff and went down to, you know, he, he didn't realize anything had happened to the South Tower yet, but he uh, commuted by ferry. So he walked past the South Tower on the way to the ferry, and he looked up and saw some what looked like smoke coming out of it. And other than that, the building looked all right, looked like things were under control. He went down to the ferry terminal, was waiting for the ferry, and some guy came running up. They they thought it was a crazy person because he said the South Tower just collapsed to the ground. Oh, come on. He he just passed it, and uh, the building looked like it was in good health, except for a little bit of smoke at the top. And he didn't feel it slam to the ground. He didn't feel the ground shake. We're talking about a block or two past it. And, uh, you know, he didn't hear anything. And uh, they're right up close to some taller buildings in the foreground that blocked the view of the towers. And then uh, they all got on the ferry, and the ferry gets out in the water, and he looks up and he sees one tower standing. And then this big bunch of of, uh, dust cloud covers the ferry, and then he realizes that was Tower 2 that just covered the ferry. You know, he didn't hear it, didn't feel it. Uh, and the building was in good shape when he passed it. So how could the tower collapse? So they, right. they thought this guy was just crazy who was saying the tower collapsed. Now, you it, said... In controlled demolitions, uh-huh. you hear a bang, 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 bang of all the charges going off. And it does that for like 20 seconds before the building starts dropping. Right. I that, Again, that's what I saw in those clips. And it's, it's that pancake effect when those uh, Las Vegas hotels went down, unlike what you see in the video of the World Trade Center? Well, they all seem to drop at the same time. And they, they study exactly how, you know, how to do it and where to, you know, what needs to be chopped out where and blown up when, and so that also it doesn't fall over on adjacent buildings. And, Doctor, would you send me an interesting clip between Peter Jennings and George Stephanopoulos, who at the time was at the uh, ground zero? So I'm going to go ahead and play that real quick because we got to go to a break soon. But let's go ahead and listen to this. Okay. I'm sorry, Peter, I didn't get the question. Okay, I apologize. Jackie Judd and several other people keep asking us 
When you look at where the towers used to stand, there is surprisingly so little rubble. Where did all the rubble well, go? It's a very good question, Peter, and I have asked some people who've been doing some of the rescue and recovery work this morning. If you look behind me, you can see the very remains, the skeletal remains of the World Trade Center. And one volunteer, Robert Gerlinski, explained to me the reason there's so little rubble is that all of it simply fell down into the ground and was pulverized, evaporated. He did say evaporated. Mm -hmm. did, you, did you catch that? Yes, yeah. Just because he said evaporated doesn't mean that it did evaporate. It just means that's the best he could do. He's there to explain to the world what happened. You could tell he was to trying to figure out what to say. Exactly. I saw that clip live when it happened. I, I remember thinking, oh, good. Someone else knows there's not much debris left. Oh, good. They're going to talk about it now. That was the last time I heard anybody question it. Right. You know, on the network media. And actually, the title of my book was inspired by that clip. And I got that as I read into it more. Where did they go? I mean, because, you know, at first, like I said, everybody thought it was, the, well, I don't, there's people who think the controlled demolition, but they thought this plane hit, you know, the building caught on fire, and then they just came down. But if you really logically think it through, and once you read your book, you start to put all the pieces together. I mean, because we're, when I say we, I mean people like me that don't have the scientific credentials you do. So we were told what to think, but you actually had the science and the background to, to know that what we were being told just wasn't so. Dr. Wood, we really should go ahead and take our next break, but when we come back, I wanna talk more about that bathtub and I'd like you to put into perspective for the listeners just how much um, leftover debris would have been there had they not dustified, as you put it, okay? Okay. All right, listeners, you're listening to the True Seekers Radio Show today. My guest is Dr. Judy Woods, and we'll be back momentarily on the True Seekers Radio Show. When you struggle with credit card bills every month, you're not just in debt. Debt is all around you. I see people every day that are on the brink. They're going to go over the edge, and at the bottom is bankruptcy, and we pull them back. At the Debt Helpline, we're experts at helping you resolve your debt problems and become free of debt. We can help you pay off your debt and give you one lower monthly payment that you can afford. You do get to consolidate your payments. You only have to worry about making one payment a month instead of making three or four or five. If you have $5,000, $10,000 or more in credit card bills, call the Debt Helpline now for a free confidential debt analysis. 800-948-6817. 800-948-6817. Call the CESI Debt Helpline right now for a free confidential debt review. 800-948-6817. 800-948-6817. If you're struggling to pay or haven't been making your student loan payments, listen carefully to this urgent alert. Have you been out of school for 10 or more years and you're still making your student loan payments? Are your student loans past due or even in default? Can't go back to school because of an old student loan problem? 
Fast Track Student Loans can get your student loans out of default, stop any wage garnishments, stop collection calls, and stop seizure of your tax refund. Give yourself a break. Stop the stress and get your student loan payments down to as little as $25 a month based on what you can afford to pay. One quick 10-minute call could help you solve your student loan problems. So call right now. Not available in all states. Payments may vary based on income. 855-351-FAST. 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 855-351-3278. Welcome back. You're listening to the Truth Seekers Radio Show. Today our guest is Dr. Judy Wood, and we're discussing her book, Where Did the Towers Go? Dr. Judy, can you give us your website address where they can find out more about your book and your evidence? Great. Yes, thank you. Uh, DrJudyWood.com. That's D-R-J-U-D-Y-W-O-D. My last name has four letters in it, Wood. Uh, DrJudyWood.com. And at the top of there is a video that you might want to watch. And there's also links to where to get the book. Or you can go directly to Where Did the Towers Go? Dot com. It might be a little bit tricky to type because there's no spaces between the words. Where did the towers go? Dot com. Okay. And listeners, I'd like to tell you, Dr. Judy Wood has been so kind to give us one of her books so that I could give it away to a listener. So what I'd like you to do, if you're interested in getting her book, Where Did the Towers Go? And let me tell you, this book is jam-packed with evidence. It's eye-opening, lots of great information. She's got photos, um, graphs in there. It's it's very comprehensive. It's well put together. It re, it looks like a textbook, and it's it's a beautiful book. So what I'd like you to do, if you're interested, the first person to send me an email to this email address, host at truthseekersradioshow.com. That's host, H-O-S-T, at truthseekersradioshow.com. The first email I get from a listener I will respond back to you and ask you for your address, and I will get the book out to you right away. So again, email me at host at truthseekersradioshow.com. So Dr. Judy, to get back to the bathtub. So if, if the buildings had come down the way that we were told, in your book, you say that the weight of that matter left over would have been about 500,000 tons. So can you... Each building. Yeah, so can you elaborate on that? And then after that, talk about the cranes that only weighed 1,000 tons, the earth movers. I don't know how much they, I don't remember exactly how much they weighed, but some are 1,000, some are 2,000, but they're, they're a lot less, a whole lot less than a 500,000-ton building. But it, something that's important also to realize, it wasn't two buildings that were destroyed that day. It wasn't three buildings that were destroyed. It wasn't four buildings. It wasn't five buildings wasn't six buildings. It was seven buildings that were destroyed that day. All the buildings with the WTC prefix, coincidentally, were the buildings destroyed that day. And there's uh, another one, uh, an eighth one, that uh, they repaired and then decided that uh, they needed to take it apart several years later. But uh, the towers were built in the Hudson River on bedrock, 70 feet below the water table, with the dike around them, they called the bathtub. It was sort of the inverse of the bathtub. It was to keep the water out. 
And you can imagine the cost of real estate in southern Manhattan. But to make more real estate, they were building out into the river. Tokyo Bay, they do the same thing to to uh, just put fill out there and, and uh, build buildings. But to be on solid bedrock and you know down into the basement, they have this dike. And uh, it in the uh, bathtub is where the uh, path train stations were. They come over from New Jersey, the um, Port Authority Trans Hudson, P-A-T-H. Uh, it's like a subway, basically, that comes over from the New Jersey side under the river and ends up in the bathtub. And there, it were also you can change to various other subways for Manhattan and, uh, you know, all, all around. And uh, imagine if the, if the bathtub was ruptured, everything would have been flooded through those tunnels. And the underground all of all of Manhattan would have been flooded. That didn't happen. The bathtub didn't get ruptured. And can you drop a 500,000-ton building on a on a, a dike and not have it be ruptured? And Much think about two. two. Yeah. And then a third building that was uh, about 250,000 tons, and then all these other ones. Now, when they went to clean up the uh, the remains, there was a little bit left of Building Six. Building six was losing approximately the middle 50% down the ground level. This big hole in it, like somebody took a cookie cutter and cored out the middle. And when they went to take down the last remaining uh, west little chunk of building six, which is an eight-story building, they didn't use sticks of dynamite to bring it down because they're afraid of damaging the bathtub wall. Instead, they used cranes and cables to pull it down. There's a, a video where this guy with a, a North Carolina-sounding accent says, get ready to pull Building 6. And he <laughs> describes how they have to be real careful, and they rock it back and forth, and they're taking bets on, on you know, how it would come down. Uh, it, it's kind of cute. But, uh, yeah, they had to be real careful. And this is just a column of a hollowed-out building, eight stories tall, just, you know, less than that width. It was, it was narrower than it was tall. And they're worried about that damaging bathtub wall. Building three was a 22-story building, and all that was left of that was this little shoebox at one end that's about two stories above ground level. The rest, you know, turned to dust. Uh, it was kind of quite interesting. And the below ground uh, was somewhat intact. There was a path train station there with, with several path trains there. And uh, around in February, they hoisted them out and have some in a museum. Uh, there were some that, that got dented up here and there, but there's some that weren't even, you know, really not, not much of a scratch on them that were in the path train station, which is below Tower two, uh, Tower 1, or between Tower 1 and Tower 2. There's also some path trains under Tower 2 at the time. So if all that so, debris had, in fact, yeah. crashed through that, First of all, there would have been flooding. Second of all, there would have been a lot of damage underground to those rails. And then also, wasn't there a mall under there? Yeah, yeah, that was just one story down. Uh, but but think of like a, a plunger going into a, you know a piston in your car engine. If you if you're slamming all this stuff into the piston, isn't it going to crash the walls? Right. Uh, but the the other side of that is if you don't have enough material in the bathtub the pressure from the outside of the bathtub where the, the water pressure is, is going to be pushing on it, and it, you don't have any uh, uh, structure um, 
holding up the wall from the inside. So that was a concern. Mm-hmm. So when they brought in the, the cranes, I call them mega cranes, these ones they put together on the scene, that they immediately saw that, that they were pushing the walls inward from the cranes, and the Liberty Street got this big crack in it. Then they went, whoa, we got to have new rules here. No crane between X number of feet from another crane, and they had to be on wooden platforms that distribute out the load, and only could be so close to the bathtub wall because the cranes were doing damage to the bathtub wall where buildings crashing down didn't, didn't destroy the bathtub wall, didn't rupture the bathtub. You know, that, to, that was just shocking. Uh-huh. And to put this into perspective, in your book, when you're talking about the amount of debris left on the ground, you, sh- you have this picture. It's right in front of the entrance of World Trade Center 1. And you have this photo, and there's an ambulance parked right in front. And it looks pretty much undamaged, except you, there's some dust covering it. But you, you point out that the ambulance is at street level, and yet its roof line, when I say its roof line, it's the roof line of the ambulance, is actually higher than the remains left over by the World Trade Center 1 debris. Now, how could that be? Except for uh, the north and south walls, you know, the, I, I call them wheat checks. I didn't create that word. It was a photographer who said they started calling them wheat checks because that describes the appearance of these prefab units that they made the outer walls with. And uh, it goes up to about, I don't know, seven stories or so, six, seven, eight stories. Uh, the, just the outer walls up to that. What happened to the other, you know, 100 stories or so? Um, and then there's a little bit of stairwell B left there. But other than that, it, everything's pretty much kind of at ground level or knee deep. You know, there's it, not much. And the fact that the ambulance isn't clobbered, you have all this material supposedly falling off the, bil- the building, and it doesn't, it doesn't clobber an ambulance that's, like, parked right out front. And you know what I found strange was how it seemed like they pretty much fell into their own footprint. To me, it was sort of odd because we were, we were, told, these, we were told that these planes hit, and that really they were at the top third of these buildings, these planes, pretty much. We're told they hit, they caught on fire, and then somehow the entire building of both towers seems to fall into its own footprint. Uh, that's it, what I was, uh, you know, groaning there is um, there, there's a list of talking points that people often recite, and it's it's part of the learning style. They memorize, you know, talking points. They don't stop and think, is that true? You know, there's a, quite a few of them, like uh, it was so hot that the steel-toed boots were melting, huh? You know, without burning the feet inside. Um, but there's a lot of things to get recalled. Like it fell into their own footprint. Well, they didn't fall. And you're just describing how there wasn't much left there. So what went into the footprint? But they they what? just seem like they fell into themselves is what I'm trying to say. Oh, but they yeah, really they, they didn't appear. topple over to the other buildings. That's what I found so strange. I mean, if... they, they just they turned into dust, so they didn't right. even fall. And and that, that can be actually uh, uh, defined by several different uh, methods of, of data. Or several different aspects of the data, and that's another thing about the evidence. In order to determine what happened, that's what you first need to do. Part of determining what happened is to establish the destructive mechanism. Were the buildings beaten to death? Did they crash to the ground? Nope. Mm-hmm. Were they cooked to death? Did they was it temperature? Was it heat that did it? No. You know, heat would burn paper. Uh, 
what you start looking at it and you realize the building was turning to dust in midair. A solid piece of steel flying through the air is trailing opaque trail of dust. And then pretty soon the, it runs out of material to the trail. There's just nothing left. Um, but uh, uh, one of the, the, the um, exercises to go through, think of this thing falling straight down. If it did fall straight down to its own footprint. Mm-hmm. The ground shook for eight seconds, but it takes at least nine and a half seconds for a billiard ball to drop. Right. So let's say we'll pretend it took nine and a half seconds for the roof to get down to the ground. So that means all of the contents in that building, you know, turn up to dust or whatever and, and have to squirt out the windows on the way down. As it turns out, it, by the time it gets down to the ground at free fall rate, mm-hmm. it's going to be squirting out the windows at in excess of Mach 2. So okay. therefore, uh-huh. all of the adjacent buildings should look machine gun fired, and they don't. Right, right. Dr. Wood, I want to get more into this dustification because we haven't spent a lot of time on that, and that's pretty much what this whole book is about. So let's go to Mm -hmm. the next break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about dustification and have you you tell the listeners more about that. Listeners, today my guest is Dr. Judy Wood. We're discussing her book, Where Did the Towers Go? We'll be back momentarily on the True Seekers radio show. There are three letters in the alphabet that strike terror in most of us. These are the three letters you need to avoid at all costs. I-R-S. If the IRS is coming after you for $15,000 or more in back taxes, you don't want to fight them alone. You need the help of the tax resolution experts at U.S. Tax Relief. They've helped thousands of people like you eliminate up to 85% of their delinquent taxes. If you qualify, U.S. Tax Relief can settle your tax debts for less than you owe, remove penalties and interest, and protect you from bank levies and garnishments. If you owe the IRS at least $15,000 in back taxes, call U.S. Tax Relief now for a free consultation and see how much money they can save you. Call 800-989-1694-800-989-1694-800-989-1694-800-989-1694. For thousands of years, people from the Brazilian rainforest have used the acai berry for its amazing health benefits. Now we've learned it's also an amazing weight loss supplement. If you're looking to lose 10, 20, maybe even 50 pounds or more, then the Ultimate Asahi Diet may be your solution. The Ultimate Asahi Diet is loaded with pure organic Asahi extract powder and other great herbs like hudia and green tea. You'll burn fat, control your appetite, and get an energy surge like you've never felt before. If you want to lose 10, 20, maybe even 50 pounds, order the Ultimate Asahi Diet right now. We'll even give you a free bottle when you order two, plus give you free shipping. Call 
Welcome back. You're listening to the Truth Seekers Radio Show today. Our guest is Dr. Judy Wood, author of Where Did the Towers Go? And Dr. Wood, can you give your web address one more time? DrJudyWood.com. That's D-R-JudyWood, Owen Ward, dot com. Or Where Did the Towers Go? And again, listeners, if you would like a complimentary copy of Dr. Wood's book, please email me at host at truthseekersradioshow.com. The first email that I get, I'm going to respond to that person and ask them for their address. Maybe you should ask them a pop quiz. (laughs) Question. (laughs) Like uh, the one about the answer being 27. Right, right. Okay, Dr. Wood, so let's get back to the discussion. We only have a little bit of time left in this hour, so I think we're going to have to carry on for another hour after this. But let's go ahead and talk about dustification. What is dustification, especially when we're comparing it to, say, like George said, that it was pulverized? Or vaporized or, or evaporated. And that was, you're getting at that exactly when I was talking about the adjacent buildings didn't look machine gun fired because the building turned into dust. As pulverization is, you know, something banging against something else, like a hammer hitting a rock, bang, bang, bang. That didn't happen. It also, uh, you know, thermal energy or vaporization means to, you know, raise the temperature so high that the material turns into a, a vapor. That didn't happen. It's not thermal energy. It's not kinetic energy that destroyed the building. It's something else. And so it looks like the building's turned into dust, so we need a new word to describe the process so we aren't calling it by an incorrect name. And I call it dustification. You know, that's not a hard word to understand. Uh, the building dustified. Those weren't in the dictionary before, but they, uh, I think they will be. Mm-hmm. And so looking at this process, you see that the solid matter of the building turns into dust. Instead of the atoms being attracted to each other, they... They're giving instructions somehow. They're directed to repel each other. I call this directed energy because something wasn't physically touching it to do that. It was being instructed by the environment somehow to do that. So you see the steel flying through the air, trailing opaque dust, the trail you know, of dust. That's an enormous thing to realize. And a lot of folks say, well, you know, she doesn't uh, give proof that such a technology exists. Ah, to the contrary. It happened. Therefore, a technology that can do that must exist. Right. That's why the evidence is so important. The evidence shows, beyond any doubt, that something that causes buildings to turn into dust in midair must exist. It's kind of a huge thing to realize. So, yeah, pulverized is, you know, something banged in something else, a wrecking ball, a missile, a bomb. That's kinetic energy blowing things apart. Thermal energy, heat, fire, you know, a hot nuke bomb, a thermite. The buildings didn't melt to death. Not only that, there are 14 people in stairwell B between the second, third, and fourth floor in Tower 1, while the buildings were, were coming apart into dust. And as you saw, there wasn't much left. There was just stairwell B left. And those guys thought they were goners because everything turned black. Well, the dust went out and up and blocked out the sunlight. But once the dust cleared, they looked up and saw blue sky and then walked out on their own. Imagine that. You know, the buildings gone around them. They, they couldn't believe what it looked like when they came out. They said it felt like they... 
One said it was like walking out onto an empty football field. Another um, piece of evidence that really shows the uh, dustification is that tipping top of Tower 2. It, the top 35 or so stories tips over and then stops tipping. And it goes straight down. Or it tips back a little bit. And it would appear to violate the laws of physics, conservation of angular momentum. But it doesn't violate the laws of conservation of angular momentum because it no longer is a rigid body. If it, if it tips as a rigid body and stops, that would violate it. But if it doesn't violate the laws of conservation of angular momentum, that means it's no longer a rigid body. It means all the little particles that make up that top portion are still continuing to rotate, but the whole thing isn't rotating as a rigid unit. Dr. Wood, we're we're almost out of time. So what I'm going to do is I just want to tell the listeners to come back next week because we've got to finish this. We really haven't even hit half of the points I wanted to hit. But I just wanted to thank you for taking your time out today. So listeners, please join us again next week with Dr. Judy Wood. She's the author of Where Did the Towers Go? And we're going to finish this up on the Truth Seekers radio show until next week.